0: How sweet are thy words unto my taste! Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth! Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way.
1: Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel
2: was preached to you. Hermeneutics. This may or may not be a word that you're familiar with. Nevertheless, it is a concept that is absolutely critical in the lives of every last one of us. Welcome to the Biblical Christianity Podcast. My name is Terrence Brownlow Dindy, the director of the Tech School of Preaching. As always, got beside me my comrades and colleagues, Brother Mornay Stephanus, one of our instructors at the Tech School of Preaching. And also Brother Tom Moore, mm-hmm. our Dean of Students and Instructor at the Texas School of Preaching as well. How you guys doing today? Doing great. Looking doing forward well. to the, to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So we're back in our home studio in College Station. So over the last couple of weeks we have been in Nesbitt, Mississippi. And of course all of our recording was done from there, but we're back here at BCS. Very glad to be home after that very good event at Nesbitt, Mississippi. But we want to talk about today... Sacred hermeneutics. Again, looking at terminology, it might be a term that not everybody's familiar with. It simply means the science of biblical interpretation when we talk about sacred hermeneutics. And, and of course, when we look at the idea of interpreting God's word, we know that this is something that God talks about, that he places some emphasis on. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse number 8, Whenever it is the case the people desired for Ezra and the rest of the preachers to preach to them God's word, the Bible says that they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused the people to understand the reading. And so it's the idea mm-hmm. of giving the sense and causing people to understand the reading is what's under consideration with this terminology, hermeneutics. You get to the New Testament, of course, and, and at least in my estimation, the quintessential passage is the book of Second Timothy, chapter 2. Beginning there at verse number 14, going down to verse number 18 to captivate the entirety of the thought, but verse number 15 certainly is that verse that we're, most of us are familiar with, where Paul says study. And, of course, in the Greek language, is spoudazo. It's a word that you see all over the New Testament. And when you look at the Old Covenant and the... For the Old Testament and the Septuagint translation, that word is used there quite frequently. Simply means to hasten, to put forth effort, to be diligent. And in fact, the American Standard Version says, "Be diligent. So study to show yourself a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, pro- approved of God." I left that out. Don't need to leave that out. It's very important. <laughs> but study, show thyself mm-hmm. approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so, of course, when we look at the entirety of this passage, and again, that's just one verse. It's taken from a complete unit of thought. One of the first things that Paul wants to do for Timothy, his son in the faith, a gospel preacher, and so this thing is obviously imperative for, for gospel preachers, uh, but not just us, for all of those who uh, fall under the, the category of the human race. God expects all of us to take his word, to be able to handle it aright, because again, our souls depend upon it, I know that there are some who deny that it's a matter of eternal consequence what we believe and how we interpret God's word but certainly uh, it is a matter of eternal consequence I'm, I'm mindful before we get into this text of John chapter 8 mm-hmm. in verse number 24 we've mentioned this before but, but Jesus Christ tells these Jews that the Bible says believed on him when you go earlier into that text that mm-hmm. if you don't believe that I'm he you will die in, in your, your sins. sins where I am you cannot come and so that seems to tell me then that what we believe even matters, does it not, brothers? It does.
0: You know, when we think about this passage, uh, and I'm thinking about the phrase "study to show ourselves approved unto God" or "give diligence." American standard. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the ESV, but they say "do your best" uh, to present yourself unto God. You know, that tells us that, and when we're going to be talking about hermeneutics. There has to be some effort put into it. Mm -hmm. I think we live in a society where people don't put much effort in their Bible study, and what they do is read what somebody else has said about something. Uh, And they could be reading the wrong thing. But we need to give diligence, great effort. You know, in uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 34 and verse 16, it says, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. First mm-hmm. uh, Thessalonians 4 verse 16 says, "Till I come, give attention to reading, to doctrine, to exhortation. And so there has to be effort put forth on our part to give our due diligence in studying the Word of God to make sure that we handle a right, the American Standard uh, version, the word of truth, because if we don't have the proper knowledge, Mm-hmm. we're going to make big mistakes in our doctrine
1: that's it yeah absolutely when you think of hermeneutics i think sometimes uh, folks hear the word hermeneutics and they think to themselves well that that's a term they are unfamiliar with yet, yet it's something that you practice every day. Mm-hmm. You pick up the newspaper, you are using hermeneutics, if people still read the newspaper. You, you're read, you're using hermeneutics to interpret that which is written. If mm-hmm. you have a, a book of instruction, if you have a novel, whatever you're using, whatever you're reading, mm-hmm. you're using hermeneutics in order to be able to interpret those things. Mm-hmm. Sacred hermeneutics is the, the, the science of interpreting the scriptures. Right. And so when we're talking about hermeneutics, we're not talking about uh, something with which uh, people are unfamiliar with. Uh, and, and in that <clears throat> essence, I think we should be able to to grasp this. If I can read mm-hmm. a novel and understand sure. what the author wanted, then I can read the Bible and understand what its author wanted. That's
2: it, Brother Mornay. And the only reason that in, within the religious realm, people tend to have so much problems is because people have facilitated people having problems and issues with the concept and the principles of rightly dividing God's word. We know that there are forces that were very uh, consorted and very concentrated (laughs) in their efforts to try to undermine sound principles of biblical hermeneutics or hermeneutics generally like you're mentioning. And, of course, there are names that we can uh, call Hans-George Gadamer, uh, people like that, these types of philosophers who... uh, basically were big proponents back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, the 60s in particular of the uh, the idea, of the assertion that we really cannot get back to the original meaning of the original author of any document and certainly Bible is what's in, the, in their <clears throat> sights whenever they yes. make that type of assertion. but course, in this particular podcast, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time dealing with that type of history. That'll be for another podcast, if, if if God allows us. What I want to do is just look at what the Bible's got to say about the subject matter. I want to look at what Paul's got to say. I want to be able to unfold uh, some of the, the points that he's making here. I think whenever we look at this text, it's really uh, what we might call a dichotomy. Paul is looking at two positions that are mutually exclusive. One is right, the other is wrong. One is acceptable, the other is unacceptable. One will facilitate God allowing us to be able to be with Him in eternity. One of them is going to cause people to lose their souls. Mm -hmm. And so we got to make sure that we understand that first and foremost, that that is one of the bits of groundwork that we have to lay. And the Bible's clear on this, even though men try to obscure the. The issue, the Bible's very clear on this, and so here's what we want to look at. First of all, what does Paul say? If these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearer. Now, I think it's important that we define some terms here, right? When we look at this dichotomy, these two things that are mutually exclusive here, again, the terminology becomes important to us. Paul says words to no profit. That is just a synonymous way of referring to false doctrine. Later on, he's going to call them profane and vain babblings, verse number 16. Again, just another way of referring to false doctrine. He's going to call some of these things error. And again, just another way of talking about false doctrine. On the other side of that coin, you have the truth. Paul uses that terminology throughout this passage. You've got the truth. And so there's your dichotomy. you got the the word of truth, you've got profane and vain babblings, mm-hmm. and so anytime somebody is preaching or teaching something that simply does not coincide or harmonize with the Bible, that falls under the category of false doctrine. And the Bible's got a lot to say about false doctrine, does it not?
0: Most definitely. You know, we are, uh, for example, turn over in your Bibles to the book of Second uh, uh, Peter for a moment. Mm-hmm. In Second Peter, chapter two. Uh, We have a pretty powerful insight into this false teacher scenario. It says there, beginning in verse 1, But there were false prophets among you, uh, among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privily, mm-hmm. who shall secretly bring in damnable, Yes, sir. American Standard says, destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Mm-hmm. And so one of the first things we need to realize about how serious this is, souls are in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. When that which is false is being taught, uh, people are going to lose their souls. And, uh, and people today talk about, well, we don't really sweat the, sweat the small stuff or that's not really a fellowship issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends, whenever doctrine is taught incorrectly, mm-hmm. how can it not be a fellowship issue? I see. Damnable
1: heresies.
0: That's that's important for us to
1: realize. Yeah, I think what folks need to ask themselves in relation to, you know, it's not that bad is, and we've mentioned this before, is do you like to be lied to? You know, do you like to be lied to? And I've said this from the pulpit before, that anyone who preaches a false doctrine is a liar. Now, how are they a liar? It's because the truth has been revealed. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. the truth. God has given His truth. When you say something that is contrary to the truth, what is that? That's a lie. Mm-hmm. And and so false doctrine. Those who preach false doctrines are are, are individuals who who uh, are merchants of lies. And we do not like to be <coughs> lied to. No one likes to be lied to. And mm-hmm. so why would we then take the approach? All oh, it's okay for. For you to lie lie to me just a little bit, it's you know, okay to lie about the word of God just a little bit.
0: And you know what's real sad yeah. about this scenario is in verse two it says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it's not just a
2: false teacher in trouble, but you're leading men astray. That's right. Yeah, you look at the idea of pernicious, and we'll get to that in more in just a moment, but it's synonymous with lasciviousness or lascivious. And so we'll talk about that as Paul talks about this, again, this dichotomy and, and the false doctrine aspect of it, the mishandling of God's word, which is the first thing that we'll deal with. Mm-hmm. He tells us there that there are some detriments that are associated with that. Again, there are a lot more people, unfortunately, that will teach things that are contrary to the truth than to teach things that harmonize with it, that are, are that correspond to it. And this is a big, big deal. So what does Paul himself say is a big deal? Again, in verse number 14, he says, look, again, of these things, put them in the remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about worse no profit, but to the uh, subverting of the hearer. That word subverting is from the Greek term katastrophe. And I always like to be able to, whenever we talk about that terminology, just help people to understand that's a word that you know. We just say it with the accents in different places in the English, but it's a direct transliteration of that term in the Greek language we use in the English quite often. And that word is catastrophe, catastrophe. So think about that. And that really helps to illuminate what Paul is saying here. If men will not <clears throat> teach God's word correctly, if they are more interested in teaching profane and vain babblings, the Bible lets us know uh, that, or words to no profit, excuse me, in verse number fourteen. If they're more interested in that false doctrine, then this thing spells catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of talking about this before we went on air a little bit, you know, as we just kind of put our thoughts together. And Brother Tom, you mentioned something about you know catastrophe. Where where exactly do we want to go with that? But man, there are so many places that you can go. You guys have already tapped into some of that when you took us over to the Book of Second Peter, chapter two. The Bible says these heresies are damnable. We understand what that means; they are conducive to damnation. Mm-hmm. You said that they will uh, lead to the swift destruction, not only of the false teacher, but of those who are sitting at his feet and soaking up what it is that he's saying. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that already, and so those are just two places. But where else? You know, Can I we still go?
0: think about Second uh, Timothy uh, or Second Peter, chapter two. Well. Uh, you know, it continues in verse 2. It talks about how many shall follow their pernicious ways, mm-hmm. their destructive ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Mm-hmm. And so we have false teachers now who are speaking. Whenever you teach a false doctrine, you're speaking evil mm-hmm. of the truth of God's word. And that makes it serious business. And notice it comes through verse 3 through covetousness and by feigned words mm-hmm. deceptive words
1: that's yeah. what false teachings all about deceptive words that's right yeah the i think the the crux or the epitome of the result of false teaching is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when you consider what the apostle Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 he's dealing with the resurrection and the christian's hope is in the resurrection mm-hmm. as paul clearly mentions if there is no resurrection he goes through a litany of things that ha- that that befalls the christian yes. if there is no resurrection why does he have to address it he says in verse 35 of chapter 15 but some men will say how are the dead raised up mm-hmm. and what uh, and what body do they come and so there there are individuals that were amidst the, the, the congregation in Corinth who were saying there is no resurrection, and he warns them. He says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. These people it. are, it's going to be catastrophic. It's nothing but catastrophic for Christianity when you attack the, the uh, resurrection of the Christ. And I think that really highlights the nature of this uh, catastrophic um, mm-hmm. result from preaching false doctrine,
2: yeah, that's it. So, so if we look at this thing from a homiletical standpoint, whenever we deal with the dichotomy and the the half of it that says that is mishandling of God's truth, the mishandling of God's word, there are three subpoints that we needed to, to dig out of that as we uh, exegete this text. Again, number one, Paul says, "Here's a problem; it spells catastrophe for the hearers if men will not teach the truth." And in just a moment, we're going to get to the, the fact that he says that in the second place, it is increases more in godliness. So that's what you just mentioned a moment ago, and that's what you mentioned from the book of mm-hmm. Second Peter as well. Both of those places that you guys have referenced also support the fact that Paul says that this thing will increase more in godliness. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. We'll put some flesh on the, on those bones and bring this thing home to see how this is true in our present day context and setting, but in third place, the overturning of the faith of some. But again, just to go back to this idea of, of catastrophe, if we go to a place like the book of Galatians chapter one, beginning in verse number six, Paul begins to set forth what the issue is in this epistle with these congregations of Galatia that he's talking to. He says, look, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another. So there it is, it's false doctrine, this under consideration here. There is not another gospel. But look what he goes on to say about that, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. You hear that terminology? They trouble you, and they would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven preaching any other gospel unto you, than that which you have preached unto you? Let him be accursed. And he says that not once but again. So the Bible says whenever someone is preaching false doctrine, it spells catastrophe for the hearers. What, what does that catastrophe look like? Well, people are troubled. I guarantee you that's not a compliment to your soul. When your soul is troubled. All right, that's not something that is favorable or something that we uh, should anticipate. Paul says that the gospel is perverted. He says that the teacher is accursed. So this thing not only has ramifications for the people that are listening to it, but also for the ones that are espousing and advancing these false doctrines. And so that's just one place. Go over to Galatians chapter 3, verse number 1. And Paul over there says, you know, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth as crucified among you. All right. So these guys were believing this this doctrine that Christ did not come with a, a literal <coughs> body. Yeah. But this uh, Gnostic doctrine later in the second century becomes uh, comes to be called Gnosticism. This idea of, of uh, docetism. From the Greek word kel, that means to seem. It looks like you know only looks like he had a body, but he really didn't have one. And so, if he really didn't have a body, then he couldn't have been crucified, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. And so, Paul is saying, "Look, who's bewitched you? We clearly portrayed before you Jesus Christ being crucified. But now, all of a sudden, somebody comes along and begins to tell you things that are contrary to the truth, and and you refuse to believe that. And so." Uh, you know, in the Colossians, this really is highlighted in Colossians, and and in the book of First John as well. You know, I think
0: about uh, the Old Testament and this example, and uh, how God thought about uh, false teachers, and what we, thing we need to realize is that uh, God's moral principles, God's truth, never changes. I don't care if it's the Old Testament. Or the New Testament. Now we know we worship God in a different way that's prescribed now in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But how God felt about the Old Testament false prophets is very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were to be put to death. That's it. You know that's how serious this is. It's not just something that we can kind of fluff over and Mm -hmm. not think about and I think it's very important, but doctrine is very important. Mm -hmm. You know, I think back in Galatians chapter one, verse ten, it says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? If I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. Mm -hmm. You cannot teach a different gospel which is not another, Mm -hmm. but some would say it is. And be a servant of Christ. That's how, that's how critical it is. That's why it's such a catastrophe right. because you lose well-being with God mm-hmm. and with your fellow man. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, there's really a point where individuals, uh, either they lose sight of who God is and what God has accomplished and how God has accomplished this with, with us. It's through His Word. I always like to ask people the question, tell me something about God. Mm -hmm. Wait a second. Tell me something about God that you did not get from his word. Uh, It's it's not possible. And so when you then take what God has given us, his revelation, when you take what God has given us Mm -hmm. and then you twist it, you turn it, you try to make it to what you want it to be, you are subverting that it's such a catastrophe. I, I don't mm-hmm. think we can overemphasize how mm-hmm. catastrophic that is yeah. to someone's faith. We when you when the only information we have from God today is his word. Mm-hmm. And when someone takes that word and turns it around and and, and make it something that it's not, Mm -hmm. that is catastrophic because then we don't know what God wants us to know. Now, there's still responsibility on the individual, but we understand then the the consequences of what happens. Maybe
0: to help us to better appreciate what we mean by catastrophe, if you were to think about catastrophes today, yes sir, you know like 9 11 and the horrible situation, that mm-hmm. would be a catastrophe. Yes sir. Or these tsunamis that come through and destroy mm-hmm. whole towns, or earthquakes where mm-hmm. whole cities fall into the hole. Those are catastrophes. That's right. We understand that. Mm-hmm. But when the Bible says. Mm-hmm that false doctrine is a catastrophe. Yes, sir. That should give us a better view as to what God thinks about these things. That's
2: good, Brother Tom. It really should. And, and the unfortunate thing about what you just mentioned, which is, again, very, very insightful, is that sometimes it's very easy for us to regard the tsunami and the earthquake and the tornado. I'm from Oklahoma. You know, the tornado was a catastrophe, but then failed to see that the tampering with perverting of God's word is it a catastrophe by God's own definition even that's, greater? So, even yeah. greater. So, even greater. So, because if if I die from some type of physical or natural catastrophe, if my soul is right with God, well, I, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm right. But man, if my soul's not right with God because <clears> I'm believing things that are not true, then uh, that that's that's a problem that is eternal in its uh, in its impact. So then, the second thing that he talks about is that. It increases ungodliness. So we'll jump over verse number 15 to get to this, to verse number 16, and we'll come back to 15 in just a minute when we look at the second half of the dichotomy. But in verse number 16, but shun profane and vain babblings. So just like words to no profit is synonymous with false doctrine, verse number 16, uh, profane and vain babblings are synonymous to false doctrine. And he says, these will increase unto more ungodliness. Now let's deal with that just for a moment. They will increase to more ungodliness. What that simply is saying is that whenever people are taught things that are contrary to the word of God, then that becomes conducive to them doing things that are contrary to the word of God. And that only makes sense. Man, look, if I'm being taught that adultery is acceptable in the eyes of God in certain situations, is that not going to facilitate People becoming adulterers. If I'm told that it's okay to drink certain amounts of alcohol recreationally, is that not going to be conducive to people doing that or smoking certain amounts of weed or in certain settings doing that? I'm telling you, these things are are going to be conducive to more ungodliness. We think about some of the denominational false doctrines that are out there. We think about the doctrines such as purgatory. spent several years in southern Louisiana where about 85% of the population is Roman Catholic. And they teach this this doctrine of purgatory. Sit down at, at Catholic funerals where they are trying to pray people into heaven that did not live very good lives here on earth, and and they think they can either pay or pray somebody out of purgatory. In other words, you live a life that's contrary to the will of God. You still got a chance, depending on who loves you here on this earth and how much money they got or how many prayers they can get up on your behalf, and that. Simply would be conducive to people not living the lives the way that they ought to live their lives. If I got a chance, man, look, I'm just gonna tell my my neighbor or my mother or my father or my wife or my kids, yeah. hey, look, yeah, I got no interest in doing what this word of God has to say. But guess what? You know, here's the loophole. You can pray for me when I die. Or have the priest pay for me, pray for me, yes. or pay enough money, and I'm going to be good anyway. So I, you know, I'm not going to live my life right. Right. You just make sure you get. I'm paid up. Yes. You <laughs> know, <laughs> know, and and
0: piggybacking on that, then we have the Calvinistic view, where right. a person once saved always saved, no matter what they do, they cannot be lost. And so, the, how can that not mm-hmm. promote lasciviousness? How can that not promote an ungodly lifestyle, knowing that mm-hmm. I don't really have to answer that because. Once saved, always saved. Yes, you know, and the, any false doctrine has to. I, I firmly believe that if you are given to a false doctrine, what's to say it's not going to take another level, mm-hmm. another level? If you are right to be wrong in this area, who says you can't be wrong in this area, mm-hmm. in that area? It's just like a snowball effect that happens.
1: Yeah, so. I think that's exactly what happens. Uh, Paul would uh, you know tell Timothy that they will just increase, their false doctrines will increase uh, all the more, and it will just continue. And I think that is is going to happen. You can set your clock by it. If you have a false doctrine, it's going to continue because the Word of God uh, harmonizes beautifully. The Word of God is not out of sync. When you introduce a false doctrine, automatically you are now acting contrary to the Word of God. Your false doctrine, in order for it to be sustained... You have to change other passages because your word is not, what you're teaching is not going to align with what the Bible is teaching. So you will have to change other passages right. as well. You will have to change over here. We t- think once saved, always saved. Okay, if we, if we take that doctrine, we take what it, what it implies for, for the year, what it implies for those who believe it. Well, if I'm once saved, always saved, and it doesn't matter what I do. Mm-hmm. Then all of the passages that tell me to refrain from sin mm-hmm. has absolutely no value whatsoever no in the meaning. scriptures. It has no meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, you think also in the book of First uh, Timothy, chapter six,
0: beginning in verse three, it says, "If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, mm-hmm. even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, godliness he is proud." Knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof comes envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds, mm-hmm. destitute of the truth, supposing the gain is godliness. From such, he says, withdraw thyself. Yeah. So it's just a bit, whenever you don't do what the Bible says, mm-hmm. and you don't hold a sound
2: doctrine, it leads to so many evils. There's so many evils, and certainly time which fell. Time has failed us. We we want to look at both sides of this dichotomy. We're only going to be able to look at this side, because time has just escaped us, and we'll look at the other side of it, what are the benefits of rightly dividing the word of truth in another episode. But let's just continue, since we're here, and I think we've got about three minutes left here, but... You look at the third aspect of this, and he says that the faith of some is overthrown. Now, I want you to notice this as with the time that we have left. He says in verse number 17, their word will eat as does a canker. Talking about this false teacher. Their word will eat as does a canker of whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Listen to this. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and they overturn the faith of some. Now, there's a lot that we need <clears throat> to unpack in a couple of minutes here. Number one. When it comes to this false doctrine and a false teacher, Paul was specific. Mm -hmm. He called these men by name. And I can't tell you, I wish I had a dollar for every time I hear somebody whining about, you don't need to be calling names and you don't need to be addressing things specifically. I listened to a sermon about four days ago where this brother is talking about sin and says, and this is almost a direct quotation, that sin should never be dealt with uh, except but in general terms it should only be dealt with generally never should be dealt with specifically now brother that is a direct defiance of what the word of god has to say exactly. right here not only does he deal <laughs> with the thing specifically but he calls these false teachers by name mm-hmm. the only reason you know hymenaeus's name the only reason you know Philetus' name is because Paul called them by name. Yeah. Not only that, he takes their doctrine and he doesn't tiptoe around it. He says, here's what these guys are teaching. They are teaching that the resurrection is past already. There is the specific, the specific false doctrine that they are teaching. And so God is very specific with these guys. Why? Because this is a very serious matter as we've already tried to unpack for you. <clears throat> and then he says here's what makes it even more serious and why they need to be called out specifically, why they need to be identified specifically is because they are overturning the faith of some. They're causing people's souls to be lost, just to put it very specifically. You yeah, know, in
0: connection with that, and, and back in Second Peter 2, verse 3, and through covetousness shall they with feigned or uh, uh, deceptive words make merchandise mm-hmm. or they exploit you mm-hmm. uh, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not in their damnation, slumbereth not. And so people, they don't realize you're being exploited mm-hmm. by a false teacher. Mm-hmm. They're, you're, they're making merchandise of you. when you don't, And that's why it's so important for us to let people know who they are and who to be aware of. Wouldn't it be horrible if we had... Uh, snakes in the in a church building and uh, rattlesnakes and we didn't warn anybody about them
2: yeah you you know as elders we saw it we see that they're in there yeah and look we're just letting people walk in we got a ton of babies at bcs we're just letting babies walk on in toddlers walk in. don't want to offend the snakes don't want to offend the snakes we we (laughs) don't want to say it might be a
0: cockroach it might be a rattlesnake but we don't want to get specific with these things right yeah no that's not the
2: bible absolutely foolishness morning i'll give you the last word but let me say this real quickly you pointed out that they're making merchandise of the souls of men, and they're doing it at the expense of their souls. When you put those two mm-hmm. passages together, you see how heinous yes. this thing really is. Most they're different. making merchandise of your souls, and they're doing it to the detriment of your soul. I, would see, I will see you go to hell so that I can profit from your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Paul clearly said it, Romans 16 and verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark. Right, Mark, identify those mm-hmm. which cause divisions and occasions of stumbling right And so the reason is there's a boulder in the road's going to cause you to stumble. Would you not warn someone and say listen there's a boulder in the road it's that yeah. one right there yeah. and that's what the Bible clearly says because there is it is such a huge catastrophe mm-hmm. to lo- to lose your soul and to be influenced incorrectly the Lord says you need to identify those so that we can avoid them.
2: That's exactly yeah. right. As we said, there's so much more that we would like to say on this topic. It's just that serious of a matter. It's not the most pleasant topic to deal with, but we have to. The idea of hermeneutics should be something that is pleasurable for us to deal with because there's a right way to do this. We didn't get to talk about that today. We'll talk about it on a subsequent episode if the Lord allows us. But uh, just looking at the other side of this thing where the word is not being handled aright, right, man, this thing is detrimental to souls. And right now in our brotherhood, we need this lesson because there's so many that are obscuring God's word and people just not understanding the vast ramifications of this. Thank you for joining us on the Biblical Christianity podcast. As always, our email address will be on the screen. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, please contact us and we will respond back to you. Thank you.